Hey, thanks very much for joining us. <laughs> oh, no, it's great. How exciting. We're so excited to have you on. <laughs> we, we've been like we've been like planting little seeds uh all throughout the uh episodes all throughout our time saying if you know emma tell her to tell her to come on tell her we want her on yeah finally well, uh, yes we got here well you actually had me sucked in because the first two podcasts i listened to that you did you mentioned me both times <laughs> <laughs> We, I think we've got the formula now, Stan. Just, just do some lots of name dropping, and uh, yeah. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Anesthesia Coffee Break. I'm Lahiru, and I'm Stan. And so we've got a really exciting episode we, because we have the ex-chair examiners Emma Giles on. So we'll get started right away. So thank you so much for being on our podcast, Emma. Um, so just to give you, just to give everyone a bit of a background about yourself, um, you're an anaesthetist in Perth. Uh, you're the exam chair from 2019 to 2020, um, and you're very passionate about education. You know, you, you contribute heavily to the primary LO, um, and and from what we, from our brief chat, you do a lot of teaching to all your local local candidates as well. So welcome to Anesthesia Coffee Break. I'm really excited to be here. I really do like your podcasts. Oh, that's good. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Emma. And and look, I'm all, I'm a big fan of yours. And I think uh, you know our podcast has really come about because of what you started initially with uh, primary LO of the day. And I think just having that momentum and having you know that avenue where you were able to share that knowledge freely with trainees all around Australia really gave us that inspiration to uh, create this. So, you know, thank you so much. And, um, and I'm a really big fan of everything that you do. Um, can I just take this opportunity to do a little name drop then? Because it actually wasn't me that started the primary LOs. It was one of my colleagues, James Derrick. Oh, fantastic. Also, yes. Um, an examiner and quite a number of the examiners were involved as well. Yes. I, I was just a bit player. <laughs> um, no, great. And I think, you know, you were a, definitely a part of that movement of uh, sharing that knowledge. And I think that a lot of trainees were, are, are still very appreciative of, uh, of all that you've done and all that you continue to do. Now, I, I know one of your passions is about demystifying the exam. And, you know, the question that I had is, what are the common misconceptions that trainees have about this exam? Well, I probably should be asking you that question <laughs> you're hearing and so that I can see if I can address them. Uh, yeah. So, look, I, I was having a, a, um, a think about, you know, with the conversations that I've had with uh, trainees, and I think that um, a, a lot of times one of, the, one of the things that they're concerned about is that they're often put on a bell curve and that um, a certain amount of them have to fail and a certain amount of them have to pass. And, and, and to me, that, that is their biggest concern that they feel like there's always a, a quota uh, with that. What, what are your thoughts on that? That's absolutely not the case in 2021. Yeah. 2022, and it actually <laughs> hasn't been the case for quite a while. Certainly historically, the multiple choice question paper was put on a bell curve, but we really appreciated that that meant that some people would have to fail every time and mm. that was stopped and other ways of dealing with the MCQs were instituted instead. 
So now everyone who presents to the exam can certainly pass. And it's not that uncommon to have sittings where everyone who turns up to the Vive on a particular given day will pass. Fantastic. I mean, I think that's really great news and that's comforting for a lot of uh, trainees to know that if they do the work and they're able to answer the questions um, as, you know, uh, what I would think would be the minimum standard to, to pass, that they all can pass. I think that's, that's really great to hear. And, you know, with um, the MCQs, I guess one of the, one of the things that um, is always brought up is I understand there's an, there's an MCQ bank and that the college is um, protective of that. And I guess the, the question is, is, is MCQ still a valid way of examining trainees? Sure. So it's a certainly a, a, very, a, a very reliable, reproducible way of examining the trainees. Mm. And I think that there were some real issues in the past with the MCQs. And a lot of that was actually associated with the Black Bank. Yep. I think that as an individual trainee, contributing to the Black Bank and using the Black Bank was just seen as a public good. And so any trainee who contributed to it was being altruistic on an individual level, which is absolutely correct. However, on a more global level, that wasn't just happening in isolation. And the examiners could see that the questions were on the Black Bank and there was a result, I think more and more esoteric questions were being asked. And as a way of dealing with this issue with the Black Bank. Mm. And so subsequently, by making it a pass-fail component of the exam, mm. and therefore the whole, um, that however well you do in the MCQ, it, it can't contribute to poor performance in the other components. But yep. anyway, defanging it that way, I think we've now moved to a place where we don't have to keep moving to those esoteric questions, which I think in retrospect weren't the greatest way of examining candidates. Yep. And now we can use really robust questions that we put a lot of work into yep. and sometimes reuse them, sometimes create new ones and sometimes mm. alter old ones. Yeah, sounds good. Actually, that probably leads on well to the next question in that kind of demystifying the exam kind of category. I love categories, obviously. Um, uh, I think a lot of people want, would like to know how um, are SAQs and MCQs created? Sure. Well, we're already talking about MCQs, so let's stay with the MCQs. So an examiner, often as a result of marking an SAQ or Viva, or perhaps something interesting they've seen in theatre, gives them an idea of something that would make a good MCQ and they'll write a multiple choice question and it will be referenced to a textbook and it will be sent to the examiner who's in charge of the MCQs, which at the moment is Julia Coldry, who's also the chair. Mm. She'll tidy it up a bit and then there'll be a meeting either face-to-face -face or nowadays um, a video conferencing meeting where she'll have prepared all those questions into a quiz. And so we all sit there with our quiz apps on our phone and the questions will come up. It's actually fun. The questions come up and you anonymously choose what you think the answer is. Right. And so 
then for each question, we then stop and discuss it. So one of the things we look at is how many people got it right. And clearly, if a lot of examiners got it wrong, it's probably not a great question <laughs> looked at. And it may well be the choices are just poor. Yes. And the wording will be, be talked about. And the notes from that are taken away. Yes. The exam, we now have a, a bank of exam questions from that. And then a balanced exam will be written. So with a certain number of cardiovascular physiology, respiratory physiology, mm. etc. Now, when that whole exam has been created, it is then sent to a number of examiners to actually sit. So both at the time when we're doing our quiz and also when an examiner is sitting the, the paper, mm. not only are we looking at the are they answering it, but they're also grading it on how what kind of cognitive load that question has mm. and also um, just how relevant that question is. So is it, is it a really core piece of um, physiology or pharmacology or is it not so core? And that is then used to create the final paper. Yeah. And during that process, a few questions usually are thrown out. So in fact, in fact, these poor examiners, they don't just sit the paper, they sit a super paper with extra. Wow. <laughs> so that there's some spare questions because some will be thrown out at this process. Yeah. And then the, the final paper now is written. Hey, so yep. just the, that's a really interesting process. So, uh, you know, I, I imagine my, the peak of my knowledge was when I was sitting the primary and I can't imagine now after it being so long, you know, having these referenced questions, which I haven't studied. I haven't, I'm not reading up or trying to look up on the spot, uh, but I've got an app where I answer it in a, in a group. I, 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 that, that just sounds really intimidating and quite tricky. And then, and then after that, going through the process, is this relevant enough? And oh, I, I forget the words you said. Um, cognitive. Uh, it, yeah, yeah, cognitive load. And is it a core piece of information as well that's um yeah interesting mm. yeah certainly the anonymity with the quiz app that we use makes you feel a lot more confident about putting an answer yes but keep in mind that for a candidate these are questions that they have to learn about as an experienced clinician if i should be able to have a good stab at answering quite a lot of the questions because i'm coming at it from a different, totally different place from where the candidate is because I practice anesthesia mm. for, for a number of years. And the references, um, if something is referenced, uh, you know, say, say someone takes a reference, finds an MCQ answer, constructs an MCQ, is it kind of the thing that it must be from a, from a prescribed text? For example, I think uh, Peckill and Williams, and that's not a prescribed pharmacology text, but, um, you know, a lot of people would use that for study because it's like a really effective study book. Um, would it have to come from something like Stolten's Pharmacology or Goodman and Gilman? Yeah, so, it has, so what we say to the candidates is that you can pass by using the prescribed textbooks. It probably won't give you the best educational experience to just use those textbooks, but you can certainly pass. Mm. We suggest that you enhance your learning by reading other books because, as you said, other books are readable and, mm. and, can, and different books will appeal to different people's learning patterns. Yeah. But we can't just keep adding 
more and more books to the prescribed reading. <coughs> yeah, mm. that, that's cruel to, to everyone. <laughs> yeah. And then can I ask Emma, sometimes with the uh, prescribed texts, you know, when I go through it with uh, trainees, they're often, they might be some contradictory statements. Yeah. And, and I can see you nodding your head already and you know it yourself. Um, what happens then? There's like the college, do they accept both answers or how does, how do they solve that, that issue? Certainly for an MCQ, it makes sure that we weren't asking something that had a different answer in different textbooks. Yep. Yep. And if we, Maybe we'll talk later about how we look at the MCQs afterwards. Yes. And that might be picked up there. Yeah. Um, but with something more freeform, like the short answer questions or vivas, then we'd accept answers from, from even that was in the book. Yeah. Yes. No, fantastic. Yeah. Um, and, oh, I was just going to quickly ask, you know, the, this, um, this quiz app, it sounds, it sounds like a great app. Like, is this something that trainees can use? Oh, no, well, it's just one of those generic quiz apps that you can find online. Yes, it, it okay. It just has a nice format where you can then, uh, where... You can just put a poll anonymously. It can put the results up on the screen. Yeah. There's yeah. a number of them that have that solution. Yeah. Maybe and, and I think trainees would want to know this, right? What What is the what is the pass, what is the pass mark for examiners sitting the super exam? <laughs> <laughs> can you can you disclose that essentially the, the examiners will pass the exam yeah uh, i might just segue here then to the concept of pass mark mm. because we've taken away what we were talking about before that normalization putting it into a bell curve and so now we look at it using a system from a, a guy called Ebel, where when we look at this, how core is this topic, how core is this question, and how difficult is this question, yeah. that actually then feeds into working out what our pass mark is going to be. So let's say all the questions were very core and very easy, then the pass mark would be about 90%. Okay. So that's the, the threshold you'd have to reach to pass. Clearly, there are more difficult questions in there. So because of that, the, the passing threshold is a lot lower. But that passing threshold is calculated out from the examiner's assessment on how difficult and how relevant the question is. Mm. Oh, so, so 150 questions. And after that, there'll be a rating system for how difficult the whole exam is. And the pass mark will change at some level based on that. Yeah, so each question has a rating, then that will sum to the, the rating for the entire paper. But we tend to keep it about the same for each paper. Mm. So we don't so that's a way of making sure that we're also giving equivalent papers to equivalent groups. Okay. And so you'll see that the pass passing threshold might be slightly different on different papers. Yep. But it's about the same. So the, the papers are equivalent difficulty. Yeah. So we've talked and, about... and so this is done by by a person called Ebel. Is that well? Is that right? So yeah. So it's 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 just one of those standard setting um, protocols. There's, there's a few of them. We've just chosen this one. Yeah. And and with his method, there is a formula that gives you a rating. Like, is it a rating out of ten or five in terms of hardness for the exam? 
mm-hmm. difficulty or degree of difficulty. Well, I, I can't. That's right. <laughs> Julia, Julia, bless her, did this while she was my well, while she was a deputy chair as well as being the chair. Yes. That so she's really taking care of those fine details for us. It's so, but it's so scientific. It's, uh, yeah, that's no, really, fantastic. That's, that's really good. Um, so it sounds like we we've got a bit of information on creating the MCQs, marking marking them, and how they're constructed. It's probably a good time to uh, go into the creation of the SAQs. Sure. Um, can I do just a couple more minutes on the MCQ? Oh, yeah. definitely. You can say whatever you want. Okay. So then subsequent to the paper being sat, we actually send all the results to an external education company who analyse the data for us. Mm-hmm. And so with that analysis, we can see how the questions perform. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that means we can look at each individual question and if it looks like it's performed incredibly badly, then we actually have another look at the question, make sure did we actually, was the answer really A? Maybe it was D. Maybe we made a mistake here. Mm. Um, it also allows us to see whether a question is discriminatory or not. Mm-hmm. And then if it hasn't been made discriminatory, then we will um, change it. Mm-hmm. And it also allows us to see how a question, if it's repeated, performs as opposed to how it's performed in the previous exam. So if there's a sudden increase in the percentage of people passing it, particularly if people who have done poorly on the exam overall, mm. high, the high proportion of those people are passing that question, then it's reasonable to assume it's out there in a bank somewhere. And that is then addressed. Yeah. Okay. No, that's that's really interesting. Um, is it then um, is there is there for the discriminative value? Is there a is there a number? Is it like ninety five percent get it right or five percent get it wrong? Yeah. Sure. So it's something called a rash analysis, mm-hmm. which has a C in there, mm-hmm. and in that. It's difficult to describe without actually having the graph in front of me, mm-hmm. but picture that you've got all the candidates who sat the exam and you divide them into five groups. Mm-hmm. There's the, the group that got the lowest 20% of scores, the group that got the next 20%, etc. Mm-hmm. And so that means on your x-axis, you've got five points mm-hmm. for each of those. And then the performance in the question is looked at for each of those groups. So it's it's um, grouped in. So you look at what percentage of group one got um, passed it, what percentage of group two passed it, what percentage of group three passed it. So a really discriminatory question is going to have very few of the people in the group that had the lowest scores overall passing it and a large proportion of the people who did well in the exam passing it. Yeah, okay. Does that make sense without me actually drawing a picture? You've got groups of, you've got five groups, and how are those groups divided? Um, on their total score for the MCQ. The total score for the MCQ. So it is, it is um, a bands of success in the MCQ? Oh, yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Okay. And, and so, actually, I didn't understand how, how then each band changes whether a question is included or not. Sure. So let's say we're looking at question one. Yep. We divided everyone into these bands. Mm-hmm. So let's say band one got 
the lowest 20% of the scores and band five got the highest 20%. Yes. Now, in question one, let's say only 10% of band one get question one right. Mm-hmm. But 100% of band five get question right. Yes. So that means it's discriminated. That particular question has discriminated just like the entire paper has. Yes. Whereas if that oh. question, yeah, so if question yeah. one, if 100% of people who um, got overall the lowest score in the exam got it right, yeah. but hardly anyone in the top scoring group gets it yeah. right, then we think, what's wrong with this question? It is not discriminating, it's reverse discriminating. In fact, yeah. if you're a better candidate, you're going to do worse on this question. That's so interesting. I, I, I didn't even realize that this was the level of com, you know, comparison that we, you, know, you guys are doing for this. That's, um, that's actually really, that's really impressive and quite neat. And it's like, it, it feels quite simple to think of it now, now that you've outlined that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's, oh, that's really, well, what's that, is that a particular system or is that a method? Yes, so RASH analysis. RASH analysis, um, R-A-C-H. R-A-S-C-H, okay, excellent. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, w- would you do the same thing for the short answer questions as well and compare it to like the multiple choice questions, like how well um, candidates do for the SAQs and compare it to the MCQs? So we have tried once with the SAQs doing a RASH analysis on it. And, and in fact, the that was actually done so that we could see whether we could drop the number of questions, Hmm. Um, which we decided from the results, no, it probably wasn't a good idea to drop the number of questions, but it just would lose some discrimination. Having said that, even though it was sufficient to come to that conclusion, because there are just so few questions, then it's, um, compared to the MCQ, it's that particular type of analysis won't work. But having said that, you can just look at the total overall scores and compare them without that same degree of sophistication. Mm. And there is, particularly now we've made the MCQ troop um, pass fail and we've defanged the black bank, mm-hmm. now there's actually good correlation Prior to that, there were people who would study the Black Bank, do very, very well in the MCQ and very, very poorly in the SAQ. Oh, interesting. Not so much an issue anymore. Yeah. Um, t- can you tell us then about creating the SAQs and sure. the Yep. Okay, so again, people have ideas for short answer questions, mm-hmm. which they can submit. And again, there is a meeting of examiners, hopefully face-to-face, but now again, video conferencing. And at that meeting, a template of what the exam questions are going to be has already been decided. So how many cardiovascular physiology, respiratory physiology, other physiology, et cetera. And then a balance of questions are then written for for that, chosen from the bank, or perhaps written on the day. So at the end of the meeting, there are 15 questions. And then one of those questions is sent, each examiner gets sent one question to look at. 
And so each question looked at by maybe five, six examiners. And then that examiner will have a look at it, decide, is there something, you know, is this wording okay? Is there any confusion? Do I think I can improve this question? Uh, maybe I'll give some idea about how the answers should go and then submit that into the examiner who's running all the SAQs, which at the moment is David Fay, who's uh, the deputy chair. And then he'll take that on board, modify questions as necessary, and then they will become the short answer question paper. Yeah, interesting. And then, so that's the construction of it in terms of... Um... The, I guess I, I guess is it like the MCQs. The ideas come from clinical experience, or maybe a recent article that someone's read, or or literally looking at previous questions and that have done poorly. Is there is there much of a method for the actual idea of it? Yeah, so I guess we have a bank which is free form um, ideas from examiners. Hmm. It would be really unusual though for a question that an examiner has written and submitted to then stay in its original form. Yeah. Yeah, okay. But that will spark the, the basic idea because you just, if I write a question, I have in my mind what, how that needs to be approached, how I would approach it. And it's very difficult for me to see how someone else would, would approach it and what the flaws are in that question. So instead of me doing lateral thinking, we have other people doing all the lateral thinking for us, which is their main thinking. <laughs> and... Um, and then come up, hopefully, to deal with all the different ways a candidate might potentially read this question and approach it. And I was just thinking, um, let's say this, uh, in a, a multiple examiners look at a question, is there a lot of concordance with the way they answer? Is there, I can imagine that there's a decent amount of variability. Is, is that ever an issue? Well, so we're still at the, question, at the point here of writing the question yeah. and then when it comes to formulating the answer again yes there will be some discussion yeah. and that's great that you've got different people contributing their different ideas then a, um, a marking schema is written mm -hmm. and then that will be handed on to the examiner who's actually marking the question <laughs> when it comes to actually marking the question we have one primary marker and each question has a shadow marker. Mm -hmm. So the shadow markers are, will independently mark a batch of the questions along with the primary marker, and then we'll discuss the batch mm -hmm. and then probably mark another batch and discuss. Mm -hmm. So any problems with that marking grid will be ironed out and we'll make sure that we've had a good discussion about what reasonable marking is. And once we've got that concordance, the primary marker will then go on and mark all the papers. A lot of people will then go and remark a subset as well mm -hmm. to make sure that that their marks are consistent. And, and that actually sounds... It, it looks to be quite a... Yeah, sorry. It looks to be quite like a, a an involved process with creating a new question. It sounds um, like it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of thought. And so is, is there a set goal for the amount of new questions that you would like to see in every, in every exam? Oh, no. So, yeah, I, was, I think Emma was just answering about how with, um, with each paper, it's about the cognitive load. 
and mm-hmm. and how um, you you set the exam in terms of I, I guess th- there's a measured cognitive load for each question that is being asked, and I, and I assume it's 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 similar to like the scale for the MCQs where you where you give us where you give like a difficulty score. Is that is that fair? Yeah, probably not being so quantitative on this. It's more qualitative. But we don't want the candidate to have a massive cognitive load with a num- with every question difficult. We want a mix of questions which are difficult mm-hmm. with a high cognitive load where, um, where their knowledge and understanding has to be synthesised on the spot. But we also want lower cognitive load questions. And the lower cognitive load questions may well be an older question because... So reason assumption that candidates have gone through past papers or a lower cognitive load question, maybe one where we're just asking something factual, you know, describe the pharmacology of tramadol, for example, something that's just just where you don't need a lot of thinking. You can just put information down on the paper. And can I ask, you look for a balance of, would I be fair to say 50-50? Is that? Well... Yeah, probably. You can't actually do 50-50 because it's 15 questions. So that, that's that's interesting. I, I, I always think that when I think about someone marking my papers, my handwriting is so atrocious. I was almost practicing handwriting and change from cursive script to printing just for this exam. Um, do you have any I don't know, tips that come about because of poor handwriting or presentation? Or Well, first of all, rest assured that examiners will do their very best to decipher your writing. Having said that, as an examiner is marking a question, we get we because information is scattered, you know, a point might be here, a point is related maybe somewhere else, we're actually building up a picture in our head of the answer. And that can be really difficult for the examiner to synthesize that picture if all and all our mental effort is on deciphering. And so we're just so constantly fixated on the next word that we're losing sight of what we've just read. So you're certainly doing yourself more of a favour by having better handwriting. Um, the examiner will do their best, but there's a limit to our cognitive abilities. Yeah, absolutely. Um, probably my advice is it's really easy to think that the best use of your time in that 10 minutes is to spend 10 minutes writing. But if you're just writing the whole time, then you're interrupting some thinking mm-hmm. and you're actually better spending some time actually not writing. Mm-hmm. The best answers tend to not have very much written. Mm-hmm. So the best answers have lots of white space and not much written. Mm-hmm. If you are approaching that from another way, so I know a lot of people are going to have a lot of difficulty not writing things for a period. Mm-hmm. That concept of white space is really important. So you want to leave lots of gaps on the on the paper. It just makes it so much easier for the examiners to read. Mm-hmm. And it also makes it so much easier for the candidate if they realise on page two that something should have been written earlier. There's just plenty of room to write it. I think that's such an insightful, that that is so insightful, Emma, the idea that um, we actually sometimes have to write less to actually present a really good answer. And and I totally agree with you. Sometimes, you know, when when you read um, 
uh, a trainee's trial answer and they've written prose and it's literally a paragraph, well, not even a paragraph, it's like a whole page of prose. It's very hard to decipher what the candidate thinks are the key concepts um, in that answer there versus someone who has just written the key concept, you know, and left some space and then write another sort of key concept uh, down below that and perhaps draw drawn a diagram or even expanded on that uh, concept. So I think that that is um, really insightful for everyone sort of listening to understand that um, it's it's not just writing for the whole 150 minutes. I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. Sometimes it's good just to slow down a little bit and think about the, the structure and the spacing. And I guess there's a reason that you have eight pages on that in that book because it really does allow you to put a heading per page or a topic per page, fill half of that page and then and then and then go on and then always come back to it if you have extra time at the end to write a bit more detail and try to scan a bit more mark a few more marks, I guess. And rest assured for every booklet, we will look through every page to see if you've written something. So if you've missed a couple of pages, that's fine. So, that we will look at every page. That's, that's, I was so worried about that. I, I, I would write PTO and then I was worried about abbreviation. <laughs> so I'd write, please turn over bracket PTO. That's the level I was concerned of. But you're, but you're telling me that every every page will be looked at. That That is reassuring for me, my, my past life. <laughs> Yeah. And also every exam, we do a bit of swapping papers as well, because someone's put the wrong number on a, on a, on a booklet. And that's absolutely fine. We will okay. just find. That's great. We'll just that's find great to hear. Who's marking that one and, and, and do a swap. I think that that's like a trainee's worst nightmare, isn't it? When they've oh. finished the exam and gone, oh my God, I have written the wrong answer in the wrong answer booklet. I'm going to get <laughs> a zero for that but it sounds like you guys will actually find it and actually give it off to the right marker so that's that is fantastic would, yeah. you, would you believe that in my final exam i i did the mcq numbering wrong um so then i wrote it out on another piece of paper erased it and transferred it oh my goodness me um, yeah that was well, well they definitely don't do that for the mcq yeah, exam because it's a machine marking <laughs> it's a machine yeah, that marks it so. <laughs> well, well, well exactly yeah i had to really get that get that, that one out. going and uh, anyway um hey Emma, i just want to quickly ask um when i do some of my um sort of my answers to time to show to, to trainees i often like using um like a a black blue and red pen but i was told that the it's scanned in black and white so it doesn't it didn't make a difference because i must admit to me it looked quite nice when i presented it on paper you know having the having like a little red line or or, or red um letters to see what was important but uh it sounds like that's not the case at all is that something that uh i, I think it is scanned on? in black and white but tell you what, i'll get back to you on that because it's been a while since i marked an essay <laughs> <laughs> the joys of being the the, uh, the chair. <laughs> you don't have to mark papers. So that was the end of part one, interview with the ex-chair examiners, Emma Giles. Stay tuned to the next episode, part two, where we go through more really important information about the part one or the primary ANSCA exam. See you next time.